Good morning, everyone, and welcome to the service this morning. It's nice to see you all and hear the happy buzz of visitors. We're going to stand and sing Cornerstone together.
Shining. There were stars out last night. For those of you that are young enough to stay up late enough to see them, I'll call our call to worship this morning. So we, thy people, and the sheep of thy pasture, will give thanks to these forever. To all generations, we will tell of thy praise. Psalm 79, verse 13. I'll just open uh, with a word of prayer. Dear Lord, we just uh, give thanks that we have this building and that we're able to gather. And just uh, give thanks for the grace that you show us and the blessings that you give us. We just pray for Pastor Glenn as he uh, gives us his sermon this morning and that uh, we can hear what you are trying to tell us. Uh, we just pray for the rest of the day and uh, for, the, for uh, a good week this week. In your name we pray. Amen. morning. The scripture reading for this morning is Acts 17 verses 1 to 10 and I'll be reading from an NIV Bible. When they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia they came to Thessalonica where there was a Jewish synagogue. As his custom was Paul went into the synagogue and on three Sabbath days he, re he reasoned with them from the scriptures explaining and proving that the Christ had to suffer and rise from the dead. This Jesus I am proclaiming to you is the Christ, he said. Some of the Jews were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a large number of God-fearing Greeks and not a few prominent women. But the Jews were jealous, so they rounded up some bad characters from the marketplace, formed a mob, and started a riot in the city. They rushed to Jason's house in search of Paul and Silas in order to bring them out to the crowd. But when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some other brothers before the city officials, shouting, 
These men who have caused trouble all over the world have now come here, and Jason has welcomed them into his house. They are all defying Caesar's decrees, saying that there is another king, one called Jesus. When they heard this, the crowd and the city officials were thrown into turmoil. Then they made Jason and the others post bond and let them go. As soon as it was night, the brothers sent Paul and Silas away to Berea. On arriving there, they went to the Jewish synagogue. Karen, and as we look into this passage, let's, uh, let's again, as we always do, is to ask God to guide our thoughts. So let's pray. Lord God, we uh, are grateful to you for your word to us, which is, as we know, always relevant because your word is timeless in the truth that it gives. And so, Lord, as we look into this particular passage, help us to understand what it is you're saying to us and what it is that we need to hear, and help me, Lord, to speak it as it needs to be spoken. We just ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I forgot to grab the lapel mic, Cam. One thing that we can definitely say about living in our modern world is that the, it is very easy to get distracted. Our world is bombarded with things that easily distract us. But I guess in truth the distractions have always been there. Uh, like this joke I came across, uh, entry in a wife's diary versus entry in a husband's diary of the same day. So this is what the wife wrote in her diary as her day came to an end. Tonight I thought Tom was acting weird. We made plans to meet at a nice restaurant for dinner. I was shopping with my friends all day and was a little late for our date. Conversation wasn't following, or sorry, wasn't flowing. So I thought that he was upset with the fact that I was a bit late, but he made no comment on it. So I suggested we go somewhere quiet so we could talk. He agreed, but he didn't say much. I asked him what was wrong and he said nothing. I asked him if, he was, if it was my fault that he was upset. And he said, no, he, was, he wasn't upset. That it had nothing to do with me and not to worry about it. On the way home, I told him that I loved him. And he smiled slightly and kept on driving. 
I can't explain his behavior. I don't know what, don't know why he didn't say, I love you too. When I got home, I felt as if I had lost him completely, as if he wanted nothing more to do with me. He just sat there quietly watching TV. He continued to seem distant and absent. Finally, the silence, with silence all around us, I decided to go to bed. About 15 minutes later, he came to bed, but I still felt that he was distracted and his thoughts were somewhere else. He fell asleep, and I cried. I don't know what to do. I'm almost sure that his thoughts are with someone else. My life is a disaster. Husband's note, husband's note in his diary that same day, the boat won't start, can't figure out why. <laughs> Upon thinking about it, I, I'm not sure if that joke is about being distracted. It seemed to me that husband was pretty focused. <laughs> so. But distractions seem to always be there and often coming on us unexpectedly. There's a scene in the movie Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. I don't know if many of you have seen that old movie, Kevin Costner. Um, I don't think I have, but... Anyway, apparently in that movie, uh, there's a scene where, where Robin Hood, who's played by Kevin Costner, he comes to a young man taking aim at an archery uh, target. And Robin asks this young boy, or this young man, can you shoot amid distractions? And just before the boy releases the arrow, uh, Robin pokes his ear with a feather <laughs> of his arrow. And the boy's shot flies high by several feet. After the laughter and those watching dies down, Maid Marian, standing behind the boy, asks Robin, Can you? <laughs> Robin Hood releases, raises his bow and takes aim, and just as he releases the arrow, Maid Marian leans beside him and flirtatiously blows in his face. And the arrow misses the target, glances off a tree behind it, scarcely misses a bystander. <laughs> yeah, distractions. They come in all types. And whether the distractions are painful or pleasant, the result is the same. We miss the mark. So I'm getting a little more serious now. There is a danger of becoming distracted in life. It causes us to lose sight of what the main purpose is and what our goals are and what we want to achieve. And this is not only true for individuals, but it's also true for companies and organizations and churches. came across another story, and this one about a church. And it's kind of funny, but really quite sad, actually. It's a story related by a man named Charles Paul Kahn. Don't know him at all, but just, he was the one that wrote this. And uh, he related, he said, when I lived in Atlanta several years ago, I noticed in the yellow pages, under the listing of restaurants, an entry for a place called Church of God Grill. The peculiar name aroused my curiosity, so I dialed the number. And the man answered with a cheery, Hello, Church of God Grill. And so I asked him how his restaurant had been given such an unusual name. And he told me, Well, we had a little mission down here, and we started selling chicken dinners after church on Sunday to help pay the bills. Well, the people really liked the chicken, and we did such a good business that eventually we cut back on the church service, and after a while, we just closed the church altogether and just kept serving the chicken. But we kept the name, and we started with, so that's why our restaurant is called Church of God Grill. 
So there's the story of a church that seemingly started with good intentions, but got distracted and forgot what they existed for. And went in an entirely different direction. So I'd like to think about this subject of distractions and the importance of staying on message in relation to the church in general and maybe to our church specifically as we go through this passage this morning. We're going to be starting this morning a series through the books of First and Second Thessalonians. Those are two letters written by the Apostle Paul to the church in that Greek city of Thessalonica. But to understand more fully what Paul writes and why he writes what he does to that church at Thessalonica, we need to understand the church's beginnings, how it got started, and what went on in the starting of this church. So that story is found in Acts 17, verses 1 through 10. And so that's where we'll be looking at the first sermon in the series. We'll be looking at how this church in Thessalonica got started. So let's quickly go through the events that are related to us in this passage that Karen just read, uh, Acts 17, 1 to 10. So we can just see exactly what went on in the beginning of this church. So upon leaving Philippi, uh, end of verse, chapter 16, uh, Philippi, remember, that's, that's where Paul and Silas went. Uh, uh, they were arrested there. They were thrown into jail. Paul and Silas were singing hymns to God in the jail while their feet were in stocks. And then they were miraculously released. The chains fell off and whatever. And the jailer was about to kill himself. But Paul said, no, no, we're all still here. Nobody's run away. And uh, so the upshot was that the, Paul was able to preach the gospel to them. And the jailer accepted the Lord and all his household. And they were all baptized and so on. But they still had to uh, leave the city because of the persecution that was starting there. So that was Philippi. The next stop after Philippi was Thessalonica. So Paul and Silas came to the city of Thessalonica. And it was a leading trade center, kind of a port city, uh, sitting on a, on, on a bay or on, on the ocean shore. Uh, and it had a Jewish synagogue in it. Now, there were Jewish synagogues in the different cities around the then known world, not just in the land of Israel. Uh, if you had at least, at least 10 Jewish men in any city or any community, that was enough to start a synagogue. So if you had 10 Jewish men, you could start 10 or more. Uh, you could start a synagogue. And so there was a Jewish synagogue in this city of Thessalonica. So that tells us that there was a fairly large, uh, or at least a significant Jewish uh, population there in that Greek city of Thessalonica. So they stopped there in Thessalonica and started preaching the gospel in the synagogue. And that would have been the natural place to start. Because the Jewish people, they had the Old Testament scripture, which they held sacred, which they taught from and preached every Sabbath. They had in that Old Testament scriptures the teaching about the Messiah. They were waiting for God to send them this promised Messiah. So it would have been natural for Paul to go to the synagogue first to preach Jesus Christ because Jesus was the Messiah that they were waiting for. He was and is the fulfillment of that Old Testament promise. So it says, for three consecutive Sabbaths, Paul taught in the synagogue. And it tells us what he taught there. First, that the Old Testament scriptures teach that this Messiah, or called the Christ here, uh, Christ and Messiah, those are synonymous terms. Christ is the Greek word, Messiah is the Hebrew word. Uh, so Christ, when you see the word Christ, it means exactly the same thing as Messiah. So Paul taught that Christ 
the Messiah that they were waiting for, that he had to suffer and die and rise from the dead. And that was something that would have been a new concept to the Jews at that time. Because the Jews ignored the passages that spoke of Messiah suffering and dying. If they did look at them, they did not believe that they spoke about the Messiah. Talking about something else, but they largely ignored them. They do to this day. Messiah, in their mind, would be a mighty conquering king, bringing freedom from the Jews' political oppression and, take, and taking the throne of Israel and making Israel a great and mighty world power and ushering in with it that state of utopia. That was their belief of the Messiah. And that's what they hung on to and they didn't want to hear anything different. But Paul, in his teaching, would have brought them to these Old Testament passages that they were ignoring and taught how they speak of the Messiah and taught how the Messiah or the Christ would first need to come and suffer and die to pay the price of the sin of the world and then rise from the dead. So that would have been a new concept to the Jews uh, in the synagogue as Paul teaching there of the Messiah. But as Paul taught, it was right there in the Old Testament scriptures. Always has been. And the second thing Paul would have taught is that Jesus Christ, who suffered and was crucified at the hands of the Jews and then rose from the dead, Jesus in fact, is this Christ, this Messiah, that the Old Testament had promised. And that salvation from the penalty of our sins comes through believing in him. Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the Christ. And is the fulfillment of all the Old Testament scriptures. So that's what Paul would have taught in the synagogue in Thessalonica for those three consecutive Sabbaths. Well, the result was that some of the Jews were persuaded... And accepted Jesus as their Messiah, as their Savior. And also it says many of the God-fearing Greeks were convinced and placed their faith in Jesus. Now, these God-fearing Greeks, they were Greeks who had come to believe in the one true God as taught by the Jews. In contrast to the idol-worshipping religion that they would have been raised in. So they had come to believe in the one true God as taught by the Jews. They had found a semblance of, of a spiritual home in the Jewish synagogue which they would have attended, whether they were full-fledged Jewish proselytes or not, we're not sure, they may well have been. But they were in the synagogue, they were hearing this, they were hearing Paul preach, and they accepted Jesus as the Messiah. Verse 4 tells us that a great number of these God-fearing Greeks responded favorably to Paul's preaching and accepted Jesus as their Messiah. And also it says a number of the leading women accepted Jesus as their Messiah. So these would have been women of high standing in the city. Perhaps the wives of some of the city leaders. Or owners of successful businesses in the city. Or involved at a high level of running those businesses perhaps. They were at any rate prominent, prominent women in the city of Thessalonica. So those who responded to the gospel and placed their faith in Jesus Christ here in Thessalonica. Was a mix of a few Jews. A lot of God-fearing Greeks, and then a number of these leading and prominent women. So when the church at Thessalonica started, that was the makeup of it. Well, trouble soon started. The Jews who rejected Paul's message, and that would have been a majority of the Jews, they became jealous. People were responding to Paul's teaching more so than theirs. And they didn't believe the message Paul was speaking in the first place. They couldn't accept 
Paul's teaching about the Messiah, even though it was right there in their Bible, in their Old Testament scriptures. They didn't really investigate or study the scriptures on their own on this. They just told the Jewish line of thought. And they decided they needed to get rid of Paul and Silas. So it says they enlisted a mob of sleazy characters from the marketplace. New American Standard Bible says wicked men, actually, from the marketplace. There's a bunch of, yeah, sleazy, wicked people just hanging out in the marketplace. So they formed a mob, and they set the city in an uproar. And they came to the house of Jason. Now it seems that this Jason was one of the Jewish converts, and Paul and Silas were staring, staying with them during their time there. Well, he may not have been a Jewish convert. He might have been one of the Greek-fearing converts. But he was a convert, probably. And Paul and Silas were staying at his house during the time that they were there. So they go to the house of Jason. With the intention of bringing Paul and Silas out to face the people. Well, Paul and Silas weren't there. So they grabbed Jason and some of the other new Christians and brought them before the city authorities. And they charge that these men who have upset the world, you're talking about Paul and Silas, these men who have upset the world, because they had been a few places already before this <laughs> with their teaching, these men have come now to our city, and Jason has welcomed them. They're troublemakers. They act contrary to the decrees of Caesar. At that time, of course, Roman, <laughs> Rome ruled the world. The Caesar was the r ruler, the emperor of Rome. He ruled the world. These people are declaring... Things contrary to the decrees of Caesar and are treasonly teaching that there's another king called Jesus. So that was a pretty rich charge. Huh? How you could convolute what Paul and Silas were teaching to, to that. But that's what they did. They made that connection. Well, the city authorities, because of the charge of treason, that's quite a serious charge, they felt they needed to take some action. So they received a pledge from Jason and the others. Some translations say they had them post a bond, uh, and then they released them. Apparently, this pledge was some sort of a bond that Jason had to post that guaranteed no more trouble and likely that Paul and Silas would leave. So apparently that very night, Paul and Silas, on the encouragement of the brethren there at Thessalonica, they did leave, and they went on to Berea, verse 10. It says. And they started preaching the gospel in the Jewish synagogue in Berea. But that's the story of the starting of the church at Thessalonica. Just a couple of words of explanation before we look at the application of this passage. First, this passage gives the impression that Paul and Silas were only in the city about three weeks. It says that they were in that synagogue on three successive Sabbaths. So it gives that impression. But upon reading Paul's letter to the Philippians, uh, Philippians 4, verse 16, he thanks the Philippian believers. Remember, he had been in Philippi just before he came to the Thessalonica. But in Philippians 4, verse 16, he thanks the Philippian believers that while he was in Thessalonica, they sent him a gift on more than one occasion to support him in the, or them in their ministry. So on more than one occasion, he received a gift from Philippi, the believers of Philippi, to help him in Thessalonica. So that could scarcely have happened in just three weeks that he would have received more than one gift from Philippi. So it is likely, and I'm taking a bit of my own interpretation here, but it's likely that Paul taught in the synagogue for three weeks, three successive Sabbaths, and then the Jews did not allow him to teach there anymore, 
but he continued to teach outside the synagogue for a further period of time with Greeks, more Greeks, accepting Jesus and the Jews becoming more and more jealous, which resulted in this riot and Paul and Silas leaving. So there may be a gap of, say, a couple months between verse 4 and 5. And that's, you know, my, my thought. It doesn't say that, but that's my thought. Secondly, it's obvious that Paul's departure from Thessalonica was quite abrupt. And Paul left behind a group of new Christians. Likely very few of them had a good grounding in the word of God. Paul hadn't really had time to really ground them in the teachings of Jesus. And then he had to leave. And so Paul would have been very concerned about how these new Christians would fare in that hostile environment with Paul and Silas not being there to guide them. Would they stand firm? Would they, their faith be strong enough to keep them on course? They've only been with them for a very short little time. Would they be able to resist the false teaching that would inevitably come? That would have weighed heavily on Paul as he left. Like having a new baby and just leaving it there to fend for itself. So that's the background behind the letters that Paul writes to these believers of Thessalonica. So starting next Sunday as we get into the actual letters, 1st and 2nd Thessalonians in our Bibles, uh, you get there, when you understand the background, you get why Paul is writing what he writes there in those letters. But this passage this morning, Acts 17, verses 1 through 10, gives us the background, but as I study this passage, passage with the mindset of, how does this apply to us today? I realize that this passage gives us some good teaching on the importance of staying on message and not getting distracted off our message. We as Christians need to understand our message to the world that we should not deviate from. And a study of the aspects of this message that come out here in Acts 17, 1-10 will help us understand this and to stay on it. Just two that I see here. That struck me as I went through it. Number one, our message needs to be derived from and remain rooted in the scriptures. Our message needs to be derived from and remain rooted in the scriptures. We see here that Paul taught in the synagogue there at Thessalonica, his message came straight from the scriptures. Verse 2 and 3 is what it says. He didn't come to them with some kind of new teaching from some source that was outside the Bible. With the message, yeah, those Old Testament scriptures, they're old, they're outdated. Here, I'll tell you about this new teaching, this new truth. No, no, he didn't say that. He took them right to the Bible, which at that time was the Old Testament scriptures. He took them right to those Old Testament scriptures and showed them what it said and what it taught. He took them to those passages that the Jews of that time, and there are some still today, they tend to ignore those passages. But right there in their Bible, in the Old Testament Bible, and they had been there the whole time. And Paul took them to those passages and said, look, this is what the Bible says. We can't ignore these passages. They are just as much a part of the Bible as the rest of it is. And they say some important things about Messiah, about the Christ, and what he will do when he comes. And he would have taken them, likely most importantly, to Isaiah 53, for example. 
show them what Isaiah the prophet said in Isaiah 53 about the Messiah taking on the sin of the world? Explain to them what that meant? He would have maybe taken them to Psalm 22 where it talks about the death and talking about you will not allow your Holy One to undergo decay which indicates a resurrection. Maybe Zechariah chapter 12 verse 10 where it's talking about the the future coming of the Lord and how the Jewish people will look upon their Savior as He comes and look upon Him whom they pierced. Passages like that. Those are just a few examples. These passages all point to the fact that the Messiah whom the Jews were so looking forward to coming, this Messiah had to suffer and die and be raised from the dead to deal with the sin of the world. And then later would come with power and great glory. So that's what verses 2 and 3 are saying. Paul reasoned with them from the scriptures. Explaining and giving evidence that Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead. Paul's message to the people in the synagogue here in Thessalonica. Was a message derived from the scriptures. And was rooted deeply in the scriptures. And Paul stayed with that message. Despite the resurrection he faced from the majority, of, or the rejection he faced from the majority of the Jews, the persecutions that came upon him because of it, you know, he could have just told the Jewish line and not been persecuted. People in the Jewish synagogue, they weren't facing any persecution. But when Paul came with his message, then the persecution came, and from the Jews. But Paul stuck with his message, and he was persecuted because of it. He didn't let the persecutions distract him. He stayed with it. It was the same message he preached and taught wherever he went. And that's a great lesson for us. As a church, our message to our community and our message to the world around us needs to be derived from and remain rooted in what the Bible says. And we need to stay with it. Need to stay with it. Yes, there will be many who will reject. There will be those who like parts of what the Bible say, but they don't like what the other parts of the Bible say. And they'll want to ignore those passages. There will be many who won't believe anything the Bible says. But because the Bible is ultimate truth, we do no one any favors by walking away from the teaching of the Bible. We must stay true to the teachings of the Bible. The whole Bible. Our message needs to be derived from and remain rooted in the scriptures. And we need to stay on message. There will be distractions. There may well be persecutions. In many places of the world there is already and always has been. But we can't let that distract us from what the message is. Distractions can also come from the inside, from fellow Christians who feel our message as a church or in our focus and it should be something different than teaching and preaching the word of God in its entirety. Those are distractions. Our message needs to be derived from and remain rooted in the scriptures. What does the Bible say? What does it mean? And we need to keep driving ourselves back to that and stay on message. Secondly, our message needs to be always 
the gospel of Jesus Christ. Our message needs to be always the gospel of Jesus Christ. So Paul's message to the Thessalonians here in the synagogue was first the need to examine the Bible, all of it, see what it says about the Christ or the Messiah. And then his message, the end of verse 3, was that Jesus is in fact this Messiah that the Bible was talking about. That was fulfilled in Jesus. And we would have explained how Jesus was a fulfillment of all those Old Testament passages that talk about Messiah. That he was God come in human form. That he was without sin. That he suffered and died on the cross to pay the penalty for the sin of the world. And that he rose from the dead and ascended back to the Father. Jesus is that Messiah the Old Testament was talking about all along. It's Jesus. And Paul would have taught that through Jesus and him alone, it's through him that we come to God. He is the fulfillment of all what the Old Testament taught. And it is through him that our sins can be forgiven and we can be declared righteous in God's sight and be welcomed into his family for eternity. It's all through Jesus. All of the rituals and the sacrifices and the ways of worship as laid out in the Old Testament were all pointing ahead to Jesus. And now that Jesus has come and has suffered and died and rose again, all those rituals and sacrifices and means of worship, they've served their purpose. It's now fulfilled in Jesus, and now it's through Jesus that we come to God. So that's the gospel message. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what Paul preached wherever he went. That's what Paul explained and taught in all his epistles that we have in our New Testament. The gospel of Jesus. And what it means. And that always needs to be our message to the world around us. The gospel of Jesus Christ. Who Jesus was and is. What he came to do and what he did do. And what it means for our eternal salvation. And that it's all through him. The message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's our message to the world around us. And we need to stay on message. Again, there are distractions. There will be those temptations. There will be those circumstances that will tend to distract us from what our message is. And will try to lure us away from our focus on that message. And try to get us to focus on something else. I have a fear that we're seeing that happening around us right now. I'm not sure how much I want to say because I'm not sure I thought it through real well, but I have that fear where we're seeing good gospel preaching churches getting distracted and focusing on things our Savior never asked us to focus on. Instead of focusing on the message of the gospel. And preaching it and living it in loving each other and loving our neighbors and loving our enemies and putting others ahead of ourselves and serving others. And encouraging each other to do this and staying on focus. That's our message. That's what Jesus has asked us to do. And our message needs to always be the gospel of Jesus Christ. So therefore we see from this passage this morning the aspects of our message that we need to stay on 
and not get distracted from. And the message needs to be derived from and remain rooted in the scriptures. Our message needs to be always the gospel of Jesus Christ. As I said, we're living in a time when distractions are strong. There may be some who are being dragged off focus by these distractions. I think we need to hear this. We need to stay on message, not become distracted. Be like Paul in his ministry to the Thessalonians. Despite all the things going on, he stayed on message. He didn't let that deviate him. Let's take our moments of silence and just listen, be open to what God may be saying to us personally, to you personally, through this this morning. I'll just give you a few moments. Music team, please. Jesus, be my guide and hold me to your side. 
when we were picking out the songs, I actually initially thought I got the passage wrong, but you did a great job of wrapping that all together. I just could not figure out how it was all going to go together. But anyways, based on his points, we picked out, we could have picked Ancient Words, Speak, O Lord. There were so many uh, great songs we could have had you here singing all afternoon, um, which probably only we would have liked, but um, uh, we... we decided on this one. It's called the Word of God Incarnate because of the way it tied um, both those verses to get, or both those points together. It's a traditional Irish folk tune, so you may recognize the tune even though it's a new hymn for us. Praise and prayer time. 
Anybody have anything that you'd like to request prayer for or something you want to publicly praise God for this morning? Okay, let's bow our heads in prayer, please. Lord, thank you for the opportunity we have to be together here this morning. We praise you for uh, for just allowing the, allowing this to be. And Lord, we know we live in a world where there's uh, different provinces of different restrictions. And we thank you in Saskatchewan that we have at least a semblance of opening for for us as churches. That we can be together at least in part. And uh, yeah, Lord, we long for, for it to be different. And we long for the opportunity for all of us to be together. So Lord, my request would be as the government is going to be reviewing guidelines and that they would see fit to, to open the churches up further. Lord, how I pray that you would work in their hearts and in their minds to that end. And uh, Lord, help us as a church to remain focused on what our focus needs to be. And give us wisdom, Lord. There's a lot of things that come up here that we need wisdom to know how to handle and how to deal with. To still remain true to message, and yet how to walk through some of these things that are in front of us. So, Lord, we ask for your wisdom in doing that. Lord, for these things that I've mentioned here this morning, we uh, want to pray for Corey's mom, Lord. We thank you for her, and I just pray that you would be with her as she is facing another surgery. Lord, I pray that uh, you'd help the doctors and physicians to understand exactly what needs to be done. And as they undertake that procedure, that uh, they would be successful, they'd be able to do it successfully. And that, Lord, she'd be raised back to health and strength and uh, be over some of that suffering she has and some of the issues she's having. So, Lord, be closer in that and uh, continue to be with both Corey's mom and dad. Continue to speak to them and may they look to you and reach out to you. Lord, you want to pray for... Uh, family that Penny mentioned, uh, Cassie and her husband Dan, who are taking on four little kids upon the sudden path of their father and Dan's brother. And, uh, Lord, there's a lot going on there. There's not only the grief that they have to deal with and walk through, but there's also the added responsibility of taking care of four kids. That's going to be a challenge and a huge adjustment on its own, even if the grief wasn't there. But Lord, dealing with it all at the same time, I just ask you to give them your strength and guidance and wisdom, discernment, and everything else, Lord, they need physically and mentally and emotionally. Lord, just be with that family, we pray. I don't know if they know you as Savior or not. If they don't, Lord, that uh, somehow through this they would be motivated to look to you and reach out to you. Give them your grace and your strength, we pray. Lord, we want to thank you for those in our church family who have reached milestones. As Irene mentioned, there was Lauren on Friday and, and Jeff and Larry today. Lord, we thank you for these lives, for these people that have you have brought into the world and you have used to bless so many people. We thank you for each one of them and pray your blessing on them as they go on from here. We want to praise you for our church family, as Larry said, uh, the support that he felt uh, on the passing of his mom in the funeral yesterday, or on uh, Friday. And Lord, I just praise you for a church family. It's times like these when we are going through struggles and difficulties and griefs and sorrows and that uh, the value of a church family really comes to the fore. We thank you for the church family and the way we can support each other. Thank you for spring. And Lord, I'm not sure spring is here yet, but uh, just a beautiful day the last few days and today as well. And we just thank you for that. It uh, truly does bring us, <laughs> bring us spring to our step. Yeah, we just thank you. 
for the encouragement that is. And uh, Lord, yeah, just a blessing from you, and we want to give you thanks. Lord, we want to think of those around our world who are seeking to preach the gospel amid a lot of persecution. Just pray to be with them. Help them, Lord, to stay on message. Thank you for the example they've been to all of us. And I pray that you would help us to understand, to most of all uphold them in prayer, that they would stay strong in you, and that through their ministry and through their testimony, that your word would be powerful in their communities, and that many people would come to know you as Savior. And Lord, help us to be the church we need to be in our community, and to live our lives the way they should be lived in front of our community people and that we could draw people to you. Thanks for this time together, and thanks we can leave these requests with you. We pass this in Jesus' name. Amen. Corey. Talking about those restrictions, uh, we can turn these into slingshots and get rid of them. Uh, tithes and offerings, um, buckets there, if you guys want to hit it on the way out, that would be appreciated. I'll just, uh, ask for a word of prayer and, uh, for that. Dear Lord, we'd, uh, just, uh, give thanks for the blessings you give us, the grace you show us, and, and all the amenities that we are blessed with. I uh, we just, uh, pray that, uh, for the, for the offerings and, uh, for the, all of us that are, have so much abundance in, in this area. We just uh, pray that uh, as a church we will do uh, what we need to do with that and uh, for the other uh, things that are going on in this world and, and that they are such blessings when we, when we do look at them. In your uh, name we pray, amen. Announcements, uh, they're there. One I'll just note is that uh, March 17th, uh, it says very clearly that Pastor Glenn made a mistake. Um, so uh, just make sure you guys note that one. Um, that's. <laughs> I just he said it. He he mistakenly did it. You know. So. Um, so yeah, that's there. Is there anything else to add for announcements? No. We're all good. Um, Pastor Glenn's got his trivia here. So we'll see what that turns into. Well, we don't got a lot of kids here today, but we've got some, so get your, your kids, get your quiz to a trusted adult in your life or in your church, or and we can mark your quiz for you. <laughs> okay, so here are the answers. Question number one, Church of God Grill. Question number two, in the synagogue. Question number three, uh, I think I said in my sermon, suffer and rise from the dead. Well, that's what it says in the Bible. I said suffer and die and rise from the dead, so either of those is right. <laughs> number four, uh, three weeks or three Sabbaths, either one of those will be right. Three weeks or three Sabbaths. Uh, number five, answer is Jesus. Number six. Jason's house? 
Number seven, the scriptures or the Bible. Either of those will be acceptable. And number eight, the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel of Jesus Christ. So if you're ten and under, you need four right to get a prize. If you're older than that, ten, you need all eight of them right to get a prize. So come and see me after, after church. Let's bow in prayer. Thanks, Lord, for this time together. As we go from here now, Lord, we uh, go into another week that we don't know exactly what this week holds, but as we go into this week, may we remember what you told us here today and remember to live it out in whatever happens. Dismiss us now with your blessing. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.